Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Hey guys, I want to encourage you and ladies for the retreat. If you haven't signed up for the retreats for the men and women, I still a lot of opportunities for you to do so. Right outside these doors is our welcome center. Go see somebody there. I know Pastor Mark's going to be there. People are going to be out there. If you're still interested in wanting to be a part of that, I encourage the time to get away, seek the Lord, see what God's doing. I want to encourage you in that. Hey, um, I want to give a, a shout out to the church. Thank you for all that participated in serving the Ukrainian refugees. We were, we were opened uh, for about a week, and then uh, President Biden put into policy where they closed the borders, so none of the refugees can come across anymore. But for that week, we were bringing in families in 24-7, coming into the church on our Lemon Grove site. We were feeding them. We were housing them. We were blessing them. Man, what an amazing story. There's one story where this little boy, he must have been about four years old. Uh, they came over. They came in the middle of the night, their family. And um, I, I was working the graveyard shift when they came in, and we had a section where there was a toy area, and the kids, the little kids can play toys and stuff. And he went and he grabbed, I don't know how he found it. He found this little mic. It's like a portable mic, and it played music. And he grabbed it, and he turned it on, and he just started dancing and singing. He was just dancing and singing. And then they went to bed, and sure enough, they got back in the morning, and he found that toy again, and he turned it on, and he started dancing and singing. Like, this kid is like, he just came out of a war-torn world, traveled hundreds of thousands of miles, and I just see this joy in this little kid. And then the following day, they had to take a plane out. I remember because we had to take him out. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. We had to take them to the airport. And he got up for morning for breakfast, and he, he found the little mic again. He starts turning on and starts dancing and singing again. And he puts it away, and his family's getting loaded up. They're getting really loaded up in the van to head over to the airport to get to their final destination. And I just felt like, give that boy that toy. And so I went over, and I handed it to him, and I gave it to him. He, he turned it on, and he started dancing to the van. Now he gets to drive the stewardess on the airplane crazy. You know what I mean? But guys, there's, there's little things like that that'll have a great impression. That a little bit of the love of the church as you guys came and ministered. I saw many of you ministered to families and you had your Google translators up and you were doing all praying for people and ministering and feeding and caring for them. We just had to be faithful with what God commanded us to do. However long it was going to be. We are planning six weeks. It only happened to be a week. But we just have to be faithful to the Lord. The Bible says when you're faithful with little, I will make you faithful with much. And we just have to be faithful with what God's given us. So I wanted to thank you all for being a part of that. Um, this week as uh, we opened up our campus to be able to receive over uh, 200 people came through our doors that week. I'm um, just caring for them and feeding them and letting them shower and rest and all that. Amen. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John. We're going through the Gospel of John as we're doing a sermon series called Believe. We're going to be in John chapter 5, um, looking at verses 1 through 15 uh, this morning. John. Just the Gospel of John. First John's the back end. We're in the front end of the Gospels. Okay, fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 5, 1 through 15 this morning. Um, you know, when we think of idols, 
We often think of statues. We often think of, you know, eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and a mouth that can't speak. I mean, we, we often think of maybe statue of Buddha or a Hindu statue. When I was in India, they had statues everywhere, big, huge statues with multiple arms. And we often think of, when we think of statues, we think of those types of things. But really, an idol is anything that takes, uh, he puts anything that we put our trust in or give power to. And we have, a, I believe we have a lot of idols in our culture. Maybe not the idols we often think of traditionally, but there are idols that we give power and, and we worship today. Superstitions are a form of idols. In fact, we give them power in the decisions we make. Think about the superstitions we tend to believe today. People die in threes, right? Walking under a ladder, a black cat, walks in front of us, breaking a mirror will bring us bad luck. A rapid's foot or winning a tug-of-war with a wishbone from a turkey brings us good luck. <laughs> Fingers crossed and knocking on wood, war, knocking on wood, wards off bad luck, right? The biggest superstition we have today in our culture is Friday the 13th. It's considered an unlucky day. Many believe because it was the day that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Some believe that. But 13 has been associated as an unlucky number. In fact, according to the Stress Management Center of Phobia Institute in North Carolina, about 17 million people fear Friday the 13th. Many fall prey to the human mind's desires to associate thoughts and symbols with events. Each of these superstitions can easily have influence on, on how we live. When you come to John chapter 5, we read a story about a man who had put his hope in a superstition for 38 years and had power and control over him until he met Jesus, until he met Jesus. My sermon title was Hope Renewed, and I believe that as we look at the story, Jesus is going to renew hope in this man who was hopeless when he's laid on a pallet by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Where have we been? We've been journeying through the gospel of John, right? Last week I did a sermon called Full Circle where we saw that Jesus had done a full circle. He started in the Sea of Galilee, did a first sign, the wedding of Canaan in Canaan of Galilee, went through Capernaum, went down into Jerusalem, turned the tables, went through Judea, doing the work of ministry with John the Baptist. There was a little dispute they went on. Had to go through Samaria, met a Samaritan woman. Heads back up to Canaan of Galilee, heals a noble man. That's where we talked about the story last week, so he did a full circle. I want you to get the geographics of this so you can see the picture. And now he's left Canaan of Galilee where he done the healing of the nobleman, and now he's back at Jerusalem. He's, he's, making a, he's going back to a place where he's beginning to begin to his, expand his ministries because when he did the healing in Canaan of Galilee with the wedding, it was only the servants that saw. When he did the second sign, it was in a larger crowd when he saw the nobleman. But the third sign, because there are seven signs in the book of John, here's the third sign this morning, it's going to be at a marketplace. It's going to be amongst a crowd. And this is where we find the story. This is the story we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at John chapter 5, starting at verse 1 through 15. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jews went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate of pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, 
And then whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now the Jews therefore said to him, who, has, who was cured, said to him, who was cured, it is Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered, said, who made you well? And said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and Maltu being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest worse things come upon you. And the man departed, told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. As we read the reading of your word, Father, your prayer in John 17 was to sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Father, the washing of your word and the reading of the word comes on your people. We pray now that the hearing of your word will build faith and understanding. So I pray, Lord, speak through my tongue this morning that the clarity of the word would change our hearts, that we'd be more like Jesus, and that, Father, even that the healing would take place in our own lives. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning. Here's the first thing, that people could have false hope. People could have false hope, right? What is that one thing that you hold on to that you can't seem to let go Linus, remember Linus and Charlie Brown? Linus always had that security blanket that he couldn't let go of that security blanket. There are things that we hold on to like that security blanket that we trust. Sometimes we might trust those things more than we even trust God. We might trust the things say about these things and we put our trust in those very things. And sometimes those very things are very difficult for us to, to let go. What are the things or belief systems you have difficulty parting from. We find in the story of a man who was paralyzed for 38 years at a pool, hoping that one day he would be healed if he was the first in the pool when it moved. It is said, we can live about 40 days without food, about three days without, without water, about eight minutes without air, but not a single second without hope. That his hope was that one day, if he could be first in the water, he would be healed. That was his hope, but we're going to find that that's misplaced hope. It's a false hope. There are a lot of things that we could put our hope in that not necessarily are truthful. Come on, come on. And we see that. And there's a place of false hope. You see that in verses 1 through 3. After there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now they're in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and these lay a great multitude of sick people and blind and lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Jesus is now in Jerusalem. The holy city is where he is at. He just went from Cana of Galilee down to Jerusalem. He said, after these things, verse 1 says, after what things? The healing of the nobleman. We looked at that story last week. It's a continuation of more of the miracles in the, in the work of God. And he went down to Jerusalem because there was a feast. Right? Some might have thought maybe it could have been the Passover, it could have been Purim, it could have been the dedications, it could have been... It doesn't specifically say what feast it was, but the Jews celebrated many, many feasts in that day. 
And so the multitudes would come, people would come, are coming back into Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. But what did Jesus often do? You'll see this in the story. We saw it in the Passover story and the turn of the table. The multitudes came to those things, and God will leverage feasts and holidays for the preaching of the gospel. We just celebrated Easter, and we leveraged that that ceremony, that celebration, that Passover celebration to the people that the gospel would be heard. He's doing the same thing. He's going down to Jerusalem and he's going to go to a marketplace. He's going to go to a place to be able to do this miracle because he wants to get the attention of the people to share about who he is. We know that he comes to a sheep gate. In Jerusalem, we're going to be going into Jerusalem. We're going to Israel in October. You're all welcome to go. If you'd like to go, there's still room there. We're going to go. And in Jerusalem, there's a wall that goes all the way around. In fact, Nehemiah rebuilt that wall in the book of Nehemiah. In that wall are 12 gates. It's a contrast to also the heavenly gates in heaven because remember you heard the term the pearly gates? Well, it's reference to the, the gates on the walls of Jerusalem, but we have a heavenly city, a, a new Jerusalem is coming that has pearly gates. But here's a picture on earth of this wall with, with 12 gates. And there was the sheep gate, which Jesus enters in and is gonna do this miracle near the sheep gate, located near the eastern wall. In fact, we're gonna to come to this pool. This pool exists today. If you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna go and see where this pool is today. They excavated and they found it and it's there, exactly as the scriptures have said. It's, they would come through this sheep gate. They would bring sheep through this gate to bring to the temple in order to sacrifice. The Lamb of God is coming now to do a great work near the sheep gate to bring healing and restoration. In the King James Version, I read through the New King James Version, but in the King James Version, John 5, 2 calls the sheep gate a, a sheep market. It was near the marketplace where there was a multitude of people, and many would gather. It was a place of a gathering. It was a place of doing business. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is going to do a great work here amongst the multitude, right? In fact, the sheep gate, near the sheep gate was a pool known in Hebrew as Bethesda. Bethesda. It had five porches. In fact, Bethesda means a house of pity or a house of mercy. And the sheep gate is the perfect place that the shepherd would do this great work. In fact, if you often read the words of Jesus, he would often stand over the city and he'd weep over Bethlehem. He'd weep over Jerusalem. He'd weep over the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see the shepherd's heart in Jesus. You see the love of Jesus being manifested. He was broken by what he saw when he saw the people in the city. And there he comes to this pool next to the sheep gate, the set of this pool, the house of mercy was covered like a patio and there would be a multitude of people, the sick, laid around this pool we see here. It was frequented by the sewer. He described it as a, a great multitude. It was those that were without strength. They were the derelicts and the outcasts and the unfit. Those that were physically sick were at this pool. These individuals have this hope. And the hope was that healing would come in their lives if they were the first one to, to go into the pool. It, based on the movement of the water. As soon as the water moved, the first one in, boom, there'd be healing that would take place. This was the superstition of the day. This was the belief system of the day. This is what they believed in. So people would gather. There would be this gathering that would come every day to this pool. Now, this man was 30 years old that was there. doesn't mean that he actually was there 38 years, but he was age of 38 that had an infirmity. 
He, was, he had a disability. He, he couldn't walk. He was on a pallet. He had, his pallet was like his, his wheelchair. He couldn't get around. He was laid out. And But this man and these people had this belief in a false hope. Look at 4 and 5. It says, For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, whatever disease he had. Now a certain man there had an infirmity for 38 years. There was a false system of belief here. In fact, verse 4 is not in the early manuscripts of the Bible. But many believe they put it in to give a reason why these people were coming into the pool and hanging about the pool, right? And there was this belief system that was there, and it was a false belief system. We have a lot of false belief systems in our culture that we fall prey to. It, it talks about how if an angel came and stirred the water and the first that got in would be healed. Actually, the stirring of the water, they believed there was underwater springs in that Jerusalem that would stir up the water. But for somewhere down the history, they decided, hey, let's, an angel would come stir the wadi, stir the water. So when people came in, that was the belief system that people hoped on, held on to, right? Years ago, there was a, a famous show about angels, right? People, had a lot of, put, people put a lot of hope in angels. Angels are messengers. Angels are servants, right? We don't worship angels. That could be another idol. You know, God used angels mightily for his work. He used them for delivering messages. He used them for battle. He used them as ministering spirits. You know why we're called to love one another in the body? And when people come in, we receive them freely? Because the Bible says, be careful. You might just be entertaining angels. You don't know who that person is or who's coming in or what difficulty, what trial they're going through. But the church should be a place that people could come into to be healed and touched and encouraged, not beat up, jacked up from the floor up. That that's, that's, should be the touch of the body. But here they were looking for a touch of an angel on the water, so as soon as it stirred, that, that they, would, they would find healing, right? That was their hope. That's what they held on to. If you're incarcerated and you stand before a judge and he's going to give you a sentence and he says, you're, you're going to serve a thousand years for the crime you committed, but I'm going to put you in a hole a thousand feet deep and you can see the opening. If you can get out of that hole, you'll be set free. What did the judge just do to that man? He gave him hope. Hope. They had a little bit of hold, hope here. And they were holding on to this hope that they would be made well. And this false hope, this false system held this man's heart for 38 years. When he came to the pool, this pool of mercy was incarcerated, his own brokenness for 38 years. It's very interesting. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, those who are taking notes, look it up. Talks about how the, how the people of Israelites were in the wilderness for 38 years. We know it's 40, but they said specifically 38 years in their own wandering, in their own lostness. This man was in a wilderness of his own pain and disability for 38 years. And the only hope was the movement of that water. He hoped to be the first one in, 
You know what that tells you guys when you look at the story, people trying to get in first? They're trying to heal themselves. They're trying to get to the pool in themselves. They're trying to be made well themselves, right? Can you imagine the competition that was by the pool? Can you imagine pulling one back in order to get in? Can you imagine the, the, the mentality of what was going on at that moment? I must get in before the others. And can you imagine for 38 years the anxiety and the discouragement that many faced over the years when they couldn't get into that pool? What is that one thing that you have asked God of to help you that just doesn't seem to be broken? What physical, emotional, spiritual needs has seemed to escape you and you feel weak and broken and yet you have hope for change? Many live like the lame man, right? Restricted and hopeful for a better future. But the hope that this man was a wishful hope. His hope was a, a wishful hope not a biblical hope. His hope was, I hope things work out. But Jesus is going to renew his hope by renewing this man spiritually. So be careful of the false things we put our hope in. Number one, that's the warning I give you. What are these things you put your hope in? Here's the second thing. Faith provides a biblical, provides biblical hope. Look at verses six through nine, right? We're going to see that. We believe in the Trinity. The Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. We believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. The Word became flesh. The culture has a Trinity. Me, myself, and I. That's a Trinity, too. That's the Trinity of the culture. But, but creation, our humanity, has a, a Trinity. We find it in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's called the body, soul, and the spirit. In fact, it says here, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that verse, I hope you caught the order of things. The soul, the, the soul, the, 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 uh, the spirit, the soul, and the body. Notice the order of that. But let me, I want you to listen to this because I think this is the secret for transformation. If you want change, here it is for you. I'm going to drop it on you. You ready? Here it goes. You, many people, we are created to live three-dimensional, but you're living two-dimensional. The two-dimensional is the soul and the body. In fact, many of us, we have a physical body, and this physical body has needs. It has desires. It has something. We feed it, Right? We put fufu juice on it, it's called stick, right? We put makeup on. We, do, we take everything on this body, the physical body. The soul is our mind, it's our intellect, it's our emotions, it's our feeling. We deal with mental health issues that have to do with our mind. Okay, so you have the body, and oftentimes we're, we move by the desires of our own flesh, and we get caught up in the desires of our flesh. That's why we have maybe uh, addictions or uh, vices or things. And then we deal with the body, battle with our own emotions of depressions and anxieties and fears and all these things that we have this going on. But we operate two-dimensional. Until we're born of the Spirit, until we're not we're born of the Spirit, we're still living in a two-dimensional lifestyle, but then you're not made whole because you're going to ask a question to a man this morning. Do you want to be made well, but before he can be mouthed, he needs to be born of the Spirit. Yeah. 
And when you're born of the Spirit, there's a third dimension that happens. That's the Holy Spirit that comes into your body. Now you're born of God, born again, or born of the Spirit. But look at the order of things. You need to walk in the Spirit, the soul, and the body. We need to be, well, now be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We got to flip it. But there's, a, there's something that supernatural happens here. When you do that, there's a war now that starts to happen in your life. There's a battle that starts happening because the flesh, it wants to lead. But the Spirit, we're supposed to live by the Spirit. That's why it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All right? If you reap to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, you reap to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. And so there's this tug of war that goes on in us. There's this battle that goes on with us. There's war, wages of war that say, why do I keep doing it? I got to stop doing that. You ever had those thoughts? Why am I making those decisions? Why am I doing these things? Because there's a war. When you become born of the Spirit, it comes alive and there's a war that starts taking place. That's why Jesus said, who said, crucify your flesh. Put to death the flesh. That's a battle every day. It's an internal, it's an eternal battle every day. So we, I want you to, to see that this morning. To answer some of your questions of what the turmoil is inside you and what's happening here this morning. And he's going to do this very thing. When you ask him a question, he's going to change his dynamic. He's going to change his paradigm. He's going to change the way he thinks. He's going to change and transform his life. Look at it, verse 6. Here's the question he asked. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus noticed this man amongst the multitude. Maybe you feel like you're not noticed, but God notices you, right? You have a driver's license number. You have a social security number. You have an ID number. You have a booking number. You have a lot of numbers in your life, but you're just a number in our culture. But Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you because that's the intimacy of God. That's right. Jesus saw him lying there and knew already had he been in that condition. He knew everything about this man. He's mindful of his conditions and his hopes and his dreams. And then Jesus asked an interesting question. It's almost offensive. Think about it. You've been, you, you're in a, on a bed by a pool and you ask me, do I want to be made well? That's a stupid question, you would think. Why do you think I'm at this pool for 38 years? Right? But I think it's an important question because not everybody wants to be healed and not everybody wants to be made well. And not everybody wants to do what needs to do to, to be made well. A lot of people like to be in their misery because they pout and they have their identity and their pain in their own misery. They can blame people in their own ministry. They could, they could, they want to, they want to, they want to, uh, you know, uh, marinate in their own misery. That's why Jesus had to ask them this question, right? People would rather stay in their mess than reach toward God. And so he asked him that very specific question. I think that's the question he wants to ask you this morning. Do you want to be made well? But many of, us, many of us may give the same answer that this man gave. In verse 7, the sick man answered. He's going to answer Jesus' question. Sir, I have no man to put me to pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. 
Now, I'm going to take a step back here because I want you to see the dynamics of what's going on here. This man doesn't know it's Jesus. Because later in the story, they ask him, who healed you? And he said, I don't know. So can you imagine a stranger coming up to you and saying, do you want to be made well? Who are you? Because he doesn't know. This whole stranger is having a dialogue with this man by the pool. It's a different paradigm of thinking of what's going on. But they get in a conversation. And he begins to what? Give excuses of why he hasn't been made well. Right? Nobody has put me in the water. People can give a lot of excuses why they don't want to be made well. Right? Nobody's there to help me. It's other people's fault. That's why I can't get help. It's other people's fault while I'm sick. We can't play the blame game because blame is a toxic emotion. We could even blame God for our circumstances. Where was God when these bad things happened to me? Where was God when all this stuff happened to me? Right? Maybe the rule of the pool was everyone's for himself. And he didn't have the strength to move to get into the pool. He had no muscles, no muscle strength. Atrophy was his nemesis. No power, no strength, no hope for healing. I think the best time when God works the most is when we're at our wit's end. Think about a man who's drowning in an ocean and a lifeguard has to go out there to save him. But in his drowning, he's flapping. He's just wildly flapping. And sometimes that lifeguard has to knock him out in order to save him. Or sometimes that lifeguard would just wait a minute until that guy is exhausted. And when he's exhausted, he doesn't flap anymore. That's when he will rescue him. God will let you flap around in the water in your mess and all that stuff until you're exhausted. And then he's there to rescue you. But he's not going to fight with you. He's a gentleman. He knocks to come in. He knocks at the door, asks that you would let him in. He loves you unconditionally. Even when you haven't showed that love back to him, he still loves you. He's still merciful. That's who he is. That's the character of God. See, spiritual healing came for the man when he was without strength, when he stopped fighting. That's when the healing began to take place. Now, here it is. He asked him a question. The man asked the question by giving an excuse, and then Jesus gives a command. Look at verse 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that, on that day was the Sabbath. Jesus told him to do three things. He told him to do three things. You want to be made well? Here are three things. Here it is. He's going to heal him physically. He's going to heal him emotionally. And he's going to heal him spiritually. Right? Spirit, soul, and body. He's going to heal him in these three areas. He said, rise, get up. Because now he's going to address his physical limitation. He couldn't get up on his own. He couldn't get up because he had no strength to get up. There had to be an element of faith at this point 
for this man to obey the words of Jesus. Healing comes in the obedience to God's word. Healing comes through the obedience of listening to the instruction of God's word is where this man's going to get healing. Arise. You know what God do? God is calling us to the impossible sometimes by his word. He's calling us to the impossible. I think in his heart, his mind, he says, I've been trying to get up for 38 years, but in his heart, I'm willing. And I think his faith of moving even in his heart was before his legs, in our minds, is where we have to step in by faith, right? That was his first step. As soon as he made that initial step to move forward, I think immediately the man was made well. Something touched him immediately. You know what? He was hoping to be healed by the water, but now he's healed by the living word. <laughs> the living word, the water of the word. That's where he got his healing from. God does work in getting our attention by meeting our physical needs. Why do we give out food? Why do we take in the Ukrainians? Why do we house homeless kids? Why do we provide food for people? Why do we, we want to meet physical needs of the people because that's the introduction for us for the gospel. Just, just providing and meeting the physical needs, right? He was healed by the pool where others were sick and were present. Others were bearing witness of the miracles of Jesus, and I believe that gave them hope. So first he said, rise, physical. Then he said, take up your bed or take up your mat, depending on what translation you have. Now he's addressing the emotional needs of this man, right? The bed and the mat was this lighted, weighty thing they would lay onto. Take it up because you're not going to need it anymore. He was removing the emotional baggage of 38 years of suffering, he was removing that. That was a reminder of his suffering. That was a reminder of his difficulty. He had, he had abided and rested on that mat for so long. He got comfortable and he goes, I want to remove this away from you because what I want to do in your life is going to be uncomfortable for a moment because you never know what it means to move your legs. You never know, know what it feels to walk. Where you might be all awkward in your walk. You might be getting up in those things as God's moving it. Guys, when you start this new journey and God tells you to rise, he says, I'm gonna remove the old baggage, right? Let's get rid of the old life that a new life would come. Come on, come on. A lot of us are holding on to our baggage, holding on to our past, holding on to all that. Yeah, people might have a, a laundry list of who you are, but Jesus says, by faith, you've been washed by the blood. There is no laundry list. In fact, the Bible says this defines love as this. Love, Corinthians 13 says, was keep no record of wrong. That's love. That's love. Keeps no record, right? When we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. He doesn't hold that accountable. He doesn't sit back when you mess up again and say, oh, I remember the other day when you did this. And he starts reading the whole laundry list about what you did. You know who does that? The enemy. The enemy is the one that brings the laundry list, not God. When we get in our fights and our marriages, we don't forgive one another. We have a laundry list, don't we? I remember when you did this the other day, boom, boom, boom. You pull out your laundry list. Then you haven't forgiven. You haven't forgiven. God forgives us when we ask for forgiveness. And he's, he's removing any provision of the flesh. I'm removing this. I'm removing anything that's going to bring failure and relapse and everything. I'm going to remove all this stuff away so you don't go back to the way you used to live or do the things you used to do. Take up your mat. Make no provision for relapse. 
Listen, many of you are holding on to your past wounds, and God has given you a new life. You have been set free. Get rid of the mat. Get rid of the past. Doesn't mean we haven't learned from it. But don't abide in it. Don't live in it. Your past don't direct, doesn't impact your future. God gives you a new future. Because the, remind, the mat is a reminder of our past, and I'll put your hope in the miracle worker. That's what he's saying here to this man. Rise, take up your... Now it is. Oswald Chambers said this before. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never even seen. And he says, walk. What he's saying is, follow me. Follow me. He's calling this man to discipleship. To, he's calling him to surrender. He, he's calling him to follow him. This man didn't even know who healed him. And later we'll find him in the temple. We're going to look at that in a moment. But he was touched physically. He was touched emotionally. He was touched spiritually. It was radical. It was radical. God still does radical healing in people's lives today. Radical healing. And he chooses the least of these to follow him. None of the disciples were first round draft picks. For those watching the NFL draft picks. None of them were the first round draft picks. We, we didn't make the first round, guys, but he chose us. He chose us this morning. I think this can apply for in a spiritual sense, guys, that we were all spiritually sick, right? Paul said when we were without strength, Christ died for us. When we were laid up on our mats, when we were hurting because we made poor decisions. But Jesus said those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for the sick. Before we can be made well, we have to acknowledge that we're sick. If we can't acknowledge that we're sick, then we're not going to be made well. God is the great physician that heals us and restores us and makes us well. And then he called us to follow him, to take up our cross, not our match to follow him. You know, some might think that by following Jesus, that's pretty radical and fanatical. But, th but think back to all the stupid, crazy things you did in your life that were radical and fanatical before you knew Jesus, right? All the dumb things you did made no logical sense whatsoever, right? But Jesus is calling you to a radical relationship with him, to trust him, and he will lead you to what is next. He's calling us to that. But then I close with this. Faith empowers our hope. Faith empowers our hope. If you know anything about the Calvary Chapel movement that was started by Chuck Smith in the 70s, Chuck Smith and his wife were burdened by the hippies of the day, by the guys who used to hang out at the beach, the flower children, smoking all the marijuana, doing all this craziness over there, the hippies of the day. And there was a move by God in this church. And what happened is all these hippies started coming to church and they were wearing shorts and barefoot and hanging all out and doing stuff. And they were, they, were, they were musicians and poets and they were writing Christian songs when they got saved and they were writing poetry. And, you know, they were doing spoken word before we even had spoken word. Come on, come on. 
But some of the people came up and to Chuck Smith and said, we, we can't have these kids in here. They're coming in with dirty feet and dirty clothes, and they're ruining the carpet. And Chuck, I love it, said, tear out the carpet. Tear out the carpet. We're letting them in. I think what you're going to see at the end of the story is you had the religious leaders. They were more concerned about this man being healed on the Sabbath than him about being healed. Because the Sabbath was a rest day in a Jewish culture. You didn't do anything on the Sabbath. They come blasting him because he's carrying his mat. Only doing what Jesus had commanded him to do. They were more concerned about violating the law than they were about celebrating the victory. We have to be careful of that as a church. That we can be so religious and so legalistic in our own walk here and pointing to people and I can't believe they're this and I can't believe they're that. But we don't see the working of God in people's lives. And we could be very judgmental on that. Be careful at New Vision that we're not these people that throw stones and rocks. I'm just trusting that God's doing a work in you. You're here because God's already doing a work in here, in you. And I'm trusting he's doing that work. And he's renewing you day by day. And he's doing all that he's doing in you. And I'm trusting in that. Doesn't mean we're not held accountable to in our lives. We need people to hold us accountable in our walk. That's why we need community. We'll get into that. But what happened is these men begin to quench the spirit or the work of God by religion. Look at verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him, who, who, who was cured is the Sabbath. It's not law for you to carry your mat. Religion will squelch the work of God. Come on. What do you mean, pastor? Isn't Christianity a religion? We have a lot of religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, all these different religions. You know what the word religion means? It means to bind. That's what it means. It means to bind. Listen, the word religion means to do over and over and over again. I get up every work, so I go to work religiously, right? You smoke dope every day, you're a religious dope smoker. That's what religion means. It means to do over and over, to bind. That's what it means. I'm not calling you to religion. A religion is you have to obey all the rules. Good luck. Religion is you have to obey all the Ten Commandments. Good luck. Even Jesus addressed the commands, he said. Even if you lust upon a woman, you've already committed adultery. He said, let's just deal with the heart. Let's not even deal with the act. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who knows it? But I come to change the hearts. And that's what it is. But these religious leaders were coming, and the, the Jews here are the religious leaders, the, the religious institution. They're more concerned about the law but than about the freedom and the work of the spirits. See, the healing, of the, the healing on the Sabbath wasn't a problem for Jesus, but it was a problem for the religious leaders. Mm. All he just saw is this man breaking rules. You know what religion does? It gives us a critical spirit. It gives us a critical spirit, right, rather than a celebratory one. You know, God does this great job. We, we do the festivals in the park on Christmas, and, and we, he's doing this great work. We're blessing multitude of people, and then people come and say, Pastor Pete, these people are, bathrooms are all dirty because of these people. Oh, my goodness. Give them more toilet paper. Listen, we have to be careful. We don't forget our mission. We got to be careful that we were like that. We got to be careful where we come from. And remember what God saved us from. 
extend grace, grace will be extended to you. Extend mercy, mercy will be extended to you. Those bathrooms are there meant to be used. We'll clean them up later. You'll be able to sit on polished toilet seats, trust me. But they have a purpose. They've been set apart for the use of people, for us to do the work of ministry. He's given us this building, not because we're just gathering, hiding, and hiding from the world. This is where we get the message to go out and touch the world. That's the purpose of this building. That's what he's doing here, right? And the second thing is the religious leaders didn't know their Old Testament scriptures when they should have. Because in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says this, um, that you'll begin to see the excellence of God this way. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb, dumb shall sing. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years, talked about a man that was going to come and do this very work. And you religious Jews didn't even know your prophet. Yet hope is restored without fanfare, 11 through 15. And he answered him, who made me well, said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and a multitude being in that place. Jesus served the people but didn't serve himself. That's what we see here in the story, right? Because he's the chief shepherd. That's who Jesus is, right? He's just, who made you well? I don't know, this guy. He said, get up, take up my mat. And he's testifying to the Jews of what happened. He's telling his narrative. The man wasn't thinking about the law. He wasn't thinking about the Sabbath. He just stood up and started to walk. He was so excited about what had happened in his life. And yet he was sequestered by the religious leaders about what happened. Who is this man that cured you? I hope people are asking you the same question to you. Who is the man that touched you? Who is the man that cured you? Who is the man that changed your life? Yeah. I hope you can remember. I hope you know who he is. Because at this moment, the man didn't. But it didn't make a difference for him because he was changed. Right? In fact, Jesus, it wasn't about fanfare because when he healed him, it says that Jesus withdrew himself into the crowd. Right? You know what that means is that he dodged. He made a dodge. He just dodged out of the way. He did his work and stepped away. Jesus was serving in the shadows, wasn't drawing attention. He wasn't setting up a tent ministry for revival to do these miracles between five and eight at night. He didn't tell God when the miracles going to happen. He just did it every day. He was touching people every day. Miracles take every day in every common places, in your businesses, in your schools, on the street. That's where we do the miracle of God and the work of God. We just be faithful to doing that. A kind word heals, Right? A special little errand for somebody heals. The simple things will touch those that feel laid out and hopeless and lost. Jesus did it real, tagging them out. That's all he did. Touched and he stepped away. He's like, they didn't, I'm sure the crowd was like, dude, he's like up, they're all out of him. And he, Jesus is like, stepping away. That's all he did. I love that about Jesus. May we just have the humility of the one we worship just serving and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the work of God. Right? I think the reason why Jesus pulled away is later he does multiple miracles. And then they try to make him a king. And he tells the disciples, get in the boat, get inside, because that's not our mission. But hope 
leads to a consecrated life as we close here. Look at this, 14 and 15. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst things come upon you. And the man departed and told Jesus that it was Jesus who had made him well. Three things I just want to briefly give to you because it's time. First of all, he was committed to a community. He was committed to a community here. He went to the temple. He got healed, and where did he go? He went to the church. The temple was the church of the day. He showed up there. I find it interesting that Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus was looking for him. Jesus had more work to do with him. Jesus needed to train him. Jesus needed to pour himself into him, right? I love that. It's important that you find a church home. We live in a world that doesn't commit to anything, and there's church hoppers everywhere. And they just go from one church to another. They just receive and never give. They never grow. You'll never grow, right? They, the church is a smorgasbord. And this time I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. You'll never grow that way. You never, you never build relationships that way. You never be held accountable that way. Right? That's not how God designed it. Here he found a church. He was accountable to his growth in his own walk. And Jesus confirmed the work in him. You've been made well. You've been made well. Then he committed to consecration. We see there at 14. He gives a warning. What does he tell him? Sin no more. Sin no more, right? Separ You've been sanctified now. You've been separated. God has made you righteous, right? There's a walk to this. There's a sanctified walk. Why? Lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, the question was this. Was the man's sickness for 30 years had to do with sinning? Because he's saying, lest it gets worse. Don't sin no more, lest it gets worse. I find it interesting when I see people's lives, they come in as a mess. God cleans up their mess. And then they tell God, I got it from here. And then they go out and try to do it on their own, and they go back into the mess. Man, I've been walking this walk for 40 years. I've seen it over and over again. It's like a dog, like a dog returning to its own vomit. Listen, you got to be in community where God will hold you accountable to our own walk. And people say, hey, bro, be careful of that. Be careful going that way or making that decision. Accountability is good. It's good for our lives, right? Maybe Jesus was just reminding to the paralytic man, just stay submitted. Walk in this newness of life because I've made you well. And I've given you everything you need for godliness. Right? I've given you everything you need for godliness. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Look it up when you leave. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. I've given you everything you need to live this, this life. And then what? He committed to share Christ as we close in verse 15. He went and told the Jews after he left the temples, he left the church and went to tell the Jews who healed him. He went outside the walls of the temple to proclaim the work of God, right? He was liberated. He was made free. He shared about his healing and why he violated the law. He didn't have to do it, but the story of his life was so powerful. Out of his love for God, he did it. How many of you have ever shared your faith with anybody? We're not, we're not, we're not secret Christians. We're sharing Christians. We're sharing the gospel with people in the love of God, right? That's what we do in New Visions. That's why we do our outreaches. That's why we do the work we do and the ministry we do, because ultimately we want to share the love of God with people. We're not trying to hoard the resources. We're trying to give out the resources to bless others. 
of what we're doing. That's why Scott is at New Vision Urban Impact in the schools, and Carmelo is the the the, the uh, wrestling coach at Crawford, and and that's why we're in the different schools that we're in, and that's why we're working with the elementary school with Sean's, and we're working with the police department, and we're working in the hospitals. Guys, you don't even know half the things that are going on with people that are serving in different parts of the community out of this church. Just serving the community and blessing teachers and coming alongside. When all the craziness was going on, I text the, the, the I know the chief of police, and I text him, say, we're praying for you for here at New Vision. It's a difficult time. He's like, wow, thank you. A kind word, just even at that moment. Goes a long way. Goes a long way. Guys, I leave with these three thoughts as we come to partake of communion this morning. Number one, what false hope have you held on to or have we held on to? What is that one thing you just can't seem to let go? You have to let go. You have to let go. What's that superstition? What's that misunderstanding of the scripture that you didn't fully understand that you might say, oh, that's not even biblical? Here's another thing. Biblical hope starts with putting your faith in Christ. By putting your faith in Christ. Biblical hope starts there, right? And lastly, biblical hope sustains our faith walk. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart today for his work. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, I know, Father, all of us are vulnerable to false hope. We can get trapped into the things we hear on TV or the things we read or people we see in counseling on, on TV or all these people that are supposed to be so educated. They talk about how their marriage is together and how well you're supposed to do it, and then they get divorced. But I pray, Lord, Father, you're the one that holds everything together. You're the great physician. You're the great counselor. You're the one that's mighty. You're the one that changes people's lives, Lord. And Father, you meet us right where we're at, Lord, and you touch us. If you're here today, and maybe there's an ailment, or maybe you're sick, or maybe you're battling depression, or maybe you're battling these things, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you this morning. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you. I see the hands. Whatever is you bring me for the Lord, I just want to pray for you. Raise your, raise your hand. I see you. I see you. I don't have to tell me what it is. It's between you and the Lord. I see you. Father, I just pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, for all the hands that were raised right now. Uh, Lord, I don't know the battle they're battling. I don't know maybe the, the sickness or the disease they might be battling. I don't know uh, the emotional things they're battling. I don't know those things, but you do. And you're the great physician. I don't know the conditions of their marriages. I don't know the conditions of the relationship with their children. I don't know any of these things, but you do. But only say the word and your servants shall be healed. And I pray right now over this body, over this family, over this community this morning, that your hand of healing would be upon your people, Lord. Father, when they leave this place today, that they've been encouraged, that they've been strengthened, that their walk might be a little stronger because of the reading and the studying of your word. And I pray that you would touch them physically. I tell you, pray that you touch them emotionally, and I pray that you touch them spiritually. Because the question is last, do you want to be made well? I pray that they would be made well today. And so I pray your blessings upon them. Lord, I pray your spirit upon them. Father, we cast off those things that so easily entangle them. Father, cast off the words of the enemy who slander and accuse them every day and tell them how terrible they are and their past and all that stuff that the enemy lies about, but yet renew our minds daily. That, Father, we've taken on the, the likeness of Christ. We have God in us. Renew our mind daily, Lord. And that, Father, you put on the helmet of salvation so when the enemy attacks our minds, he can't penetrate. 
So I pray your blessings upon your people this morning. Touch them now in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.